0: The scripture says that he he is tabernacled upon the praises of his people. We don't have to pray that. That is a truth that is unshakable. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. God is here, and I believe God wants to minister to many of our hearts this morning. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 7, I don't know if you're familiar with Thor Ramsey or not, he's a Christian comedian, he does this little, what is it, Bananas, the name of the, the show he does, and I, I appreciate one of his comedy skits, I'm not going to do it, um, and you'll thank me later for that, but in his discussion of the DMV, maybe some of you remember where I'm going with this already, but in his discussion of the DMV, he talks about the endless lines and just how discouraging it can be. And the the truth is, I think we all hate the DMVs and their long lines. Sorry if you work at a DMV. I don't think anybody here does. But if you do, my apologies. The truth is that even Zootopia made fun of this with with the sloth. You remember that? (laughs) So so, give me your information. She gives her first name and rattles off all of this information. And then the sloth asks, so how do you spell that first name? (laughs) He's still stuck at that first line. But the the DMV lines. And then so Thor Ramsey kind of jokes around with this. And he says, what really irritates me when I am in a DMV line is when the person in front of you is so preoccupied with their cell phone and texting or some other distraction and the person in front of them has already moved. Two feet. And I am wanting to scream out, can you please move forward? At least I like the illusion of progress, is what he says. I love the illusion of progress. DMV lines. What is it that you do as soon as you go into a DMV line? What do you do? You take a number, right? And then you proceed to sit down for an hour or two, depending on what day you're going, granted. I can remember one time I went to the DMV, and I can't remember exactly what it was. But it was such a simple procedure. I just didn't have my insurance card, but I had my insurance declarations page. You understand what I'm talking about here, right? And so I bring that along with me. That's proof enough for my insurance. And she looks at it and said, nope, actually, it's not. Because And she starts going into this long explanation. And I said, I'm sorry, can you just talk to your supervisor? Because that means I've got to step out of line. I've got to go back home. I've got to make some phone calls. I've got to do this, that, or the other to have them fax something to me. And, and she says, Okay, so well, she comes back after talking to the supervisor. She says, Nope, I was right. You're just going to have to get your insurance card and blah, 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 blah. And I'm I said, Seriously, oh man. So I had to have my insurance company fax me the insurance card because for some reason they hadn't mailed it to me. And so I got through it after visiting the DMV twice in about two to three hours of wasted time. But is it not true that if, if you're not careful when you're in a DMV line, you can feel like a number? Am I not right? The the, the problem, though, church, I want to bring to your attention, is that in our life, in a relationship with God, we can, if we're not careful, we can feel like a number. We can. I mean, how many people are in the world right now? I think it's about seven billion. Is that number? Is that statistic current right now? About seven billion people, and you are number one of seven hundred or seven billion people. Now, Christians. Okay, great. Now there's a couple, only a couple hundred million, or perhaps over a billion. I I don't know the number there because there's so many that say they're Christians. Then yeah, let God sort that out, right? But. We can feel like a number. There's just so many. God, when I pray, it just doesn't seem like you answer my prayers. When I ask you to step in and intervene and change this situation, you don't do what I'm asking. And it makes us feel, if we're not careful, like a number. God is, maybe he's too busy. Maybe I'm just not significant. Maybe I am just not loved. We can feel this way, especially when God doesn't answer our prayers just like we are asking him. I want to bring to your attention, because it's pertinent to our story here today, that there is a difference between expectation and anticipation. Are you aware of this? Anticipation is looking, it's, how does that song go? Wait. Anyway, I won't sing it. But it's an old song anyway. Anticipation. Yeah, wait. So anticipation is waiting. With ex- It's like God, or in the situation of, of prayer, God is going to be doing something here. We're not exactly sure what, but God is afoot. God is about to do something amazing. Expectation is much more specific. Not only are we expecting God to do something, but we are expecting God to do this thing. Many of us come to God in prayer with expectation instead of anticipation. Many of us, we don't do either of those because we have come so many times with expectation. God, you're not doing it the way I was hoping. And so we don't even have anticipation and we just walk through life just like I described. Does God even really love me? We feel like a number. I'm entitling this message, Take a Number, Question Mark, because many of us can feel this way. I am going to suggest to you that in the story I'm going to read to you and that we're going to focus on this morning, that is exactly what Jesus does not want us to understand or how to view God. We are not just a number. God is not too busy. We are not insignificant. If Jesus says in Matthew 6 that when a, that God is aware when a sparrow falls to the ground, and how many sparrows, how many birds, how many created beings, insects included, are there in this world? A whole lot more than 7 billion. God is aware of this. Is he not aware of you and your situation? I want you, as I'm going through this message, Number one, my prayer is that this is not just going to be a nice sermon, which, by the way, is perhaps the worst thing you can ever compliment me with. Pastor, that was such a nice sermon. Please don't ever tell me that. Don't ever tell me that, okay? I don't want to preach a nice sermon, okay? That is placating. Jesus never preached a nice sermon. Jesus preached anointed sermons. Jesus preached with the anointing of the Spirit, and he spoke to hearts, and he spoke to this heart, that we're going to read about this morning. And I pray, my prayer is may God speak to your heart. May God speak a prophetic word into your spirit to bring encouragement to you. Because many of you are sitting here this morning and you feel just like that. You feel like a number. You feel like when you come into your prayer closet, God is saying, oh, take a number. We come with expectations or we come with nothing And Jesus, I think we're going to see here this morning, says, come with anticipation. Now, this is one of several messages entitled, Crowded Thinking. I want us to look at how Jesus approached the crowds. Many times, like the DMV, you're just a number. That's not how Jesus treated the crowds. He was very personable, very personal. Jesus is very personal with you. Jesus, we're going to see his compassion today. And in this series, I want us to see how Jesus treats crowds because in all honesty, church, this then becomes how we are called to treat the lost world, to treat the, the large crowds, even in the kingdom of God. This is this, What we're going to look at is we're going to see how Jesus responded and my prayer is, God, may it not just touch our heart, God, this is how much you love me, but now this is what I am or this is how I am called to respond to a lost, dying, enslaved world. world. And Jesus is so loving, so compassionate. Luke 7, verses 11 to 17. I'm reading from the NIV. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. I mean, my goodness, wouldn't you? What happens next? I think I might have dropped it. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began talking. And Jesus must have been an extrovert, right? And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. We see two crowds in this story this morning. The first crowd has been accumulating and following Jesus ever since he was in Capernaum. It says, the, Luke tells us, soon afterward. That is, soon after the preceding event, which was the healing of the Samaritan servant. That happened in Capernaum. Jesus now, and if you happen to have a map in the back of your Bible, you can turn to it and look. But Jesus has been traveling more than 20 miles by road, and he finally comes to Nain... And there's a large crowd that's following him. Now, we don't know what has been going on. Nazareth is, in, is only a few miles away from Nain. Uh, Cana of Galilee, where Jesus turned the water into wine, that's another town that is fairly close to where Nain is on his way. But Jesus, no doubt, has been preaching and healing, and a group of people have been following him. Now, there's a distinction that Luke makes here. There's the disciples that are following him, and then there's a large crowd that is following him. Now, the difference is that it says that the crowd was going along with him. I want to be careful. I don't want to necessarily use the term following him because that's what the disciples do. The disciples are following Jesus. Just a chapter before, chapter 6, Luke 6 Jesus has been spending all night in prayer on a mountain, and when he comes down from the mountain, he calls his disciples to him. So he'd been spending all night in prayer, and when he comes down the mountain in the morning, I'm going to suggest to you that that's where the disciples were. The disciples hung out with him all night, except he was on the mountain, and they were at the base of the mountain. So he calls them to them, and he chooses 12 apostles. So... Then the, Jesus and the disciples go into a plane, and he begins to teach. People are coming from all over, and a large crowd begins to develop. Now, we don't know if it's the same crowd or not, but Jesus has disciples, and then there is the crowd. The crowd is in, comes with anticipation. The disciples come because they are following Jesus now this morning you may feel as if you are just part of the crowd you don 't necessarily feel like a disciple of Jesus you are not someone who is really truly following Jesus. That may be true i 'll be honest with you, I was a part of the crowd until I was fourteen years of age and i I listened to probably okay fourteen times fifty two that 's how many sermons I probably ever since I was a kid a little baby I was in church every week except when I played sick and listening to that many sermons and I thought I was part of the you know I thought I was part of the disciples but I was really part of the crowd I was just kind of going along this is what my parents do there's this sense of anticipation or I guess maybe expectation because my parents but there's a difference though between the crowd and the disciples the disciples are following Jesus there are times in which while I'm Beginning to share the gospel with someone, I'm asking them a few questions, kind of drawing them out, and, and I might just be bold and ask them, "So, are you a Christian?" "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah," and you go to church? "Oh, yeah, of course I do." That they mean Christmas and Easter, but yeah, yeah, I go to church. And I said, "Awesome! So you're a Christian? You go to church, and and do you follow Jesus?" And there is this awkward pause. Well, not really. And I might be a little bit bold and ask him, so what do you mean you don't follow? Okay, so you're a a Christian, which means one who follows Jesus, but you're telling me you don't follow Jesus? See, that guy is a part of the crowd. He's not a disciple. But Jesus is so patient with the crowd because... Of what we're going to read about today, as an example, and he is trying to bring these people and cultivating an anticipation because he wants to reveal his glory. He wants them come follow me. If you don't just, if you don't believe me, at least believe me for what my miracles sake. And so they're seeing these miracles. I'm like, we're going to read only. We've only read one here this morning, but there is a sense of anticipation and hope that this crowd brings. They. They encounter, though, another crowd when they arrive in Nain. Again, they've been traveling for 20-some miles. And the sense of anticipation, some of them have been walking with Jesus only a few miles, wondering what is he going to preach next? What is he going to do next? I wonder if he might heal a leper or a blind person. Wouldn't that be cool? And Jesus and the large crowd and his disciples, as they are about to enter into this town of Nain, encounter this other group. It's a funeral procession. There is no anticipation or hope with this crowd. There's despair. There's discouragement, disappointment, worry. What is the widow going to do now? She's a widow, and her only son is now dead. How will she provide for herself? There's a sense of heartache. There's weeping. And to speak rather metaphorically, hope will soon be buried. Jesus responds to this situation. Now, he doesn't ask questions. Because of his intimacy with the Father, you and I both know, Jesus taught only what the Father told him to teach, and he did only what the father showed him to do. That leads me to believe that prior to arriving at Nain, the father had already spoken to his son Jesus and said something to the effect, as you were about to enter in, there's going to be a funeral procession. Touch the coffin. Heal the young man. And so Jesus, already knowing the situation, He knows that she's a widow. He knows that this young man is the the widow's only son. And it says right here, his heart went out to her. Other translations, he had pity or he had compassion on her. She is singled out. She is not just a number. She is weeping, and Jesus has compassion. His heart, if I could word it this way, is beginning to break for her. Now, I love this little Greek word, if nothing less, because it sounds so cool. It's the Greek word. Are you ready for this? You don't have to write it down. I just think the word sounds cool. Splunk needs a mind. Okay? I don't know. Have you ever been spelunking before? This has nothing to do with that. Splunk needs... It means to have compassion. It comes... It is only used as a verb to have compassion in the Gospels. Outside of the Gospels, it's used several times, but it's usually with the noun. That noun that is the root of this verb means guts, intestines, bowels. It is the seat of your emotions. When you... Men, when you looked at your wife-to-be for the first time and said, I love you, I'm not exactly sure how they would say it in their culture, but it would you know, I, I, I have guts for you? I, I don't know, all right? In our culture, we have we use symbols, okay? When we say, I love you, we say, we do this, right? What did they do? I'm not even going to go there. <clears throat> but this is compassion. It, it is th- this pity, this, this sympathy that rises up and that wants to see this hurt go away, this weeping go away to remedy the situation. And that's exactly what Jesus does. And so he speaks to the woman and he says, don't cry. Now, here's something that's interesting. It is a known fact that Jesus says, don't cry only three times in the Gospels. Only three times. All of them are found in the Gospel according to Luke. And get a load of this, all three, right before a resurrection. Here, speaking to the widow... The second one is when Jesus is about to enter into Jairus' house to raise his 12-year-old daughter from the dead, and he speaks to the mourners and says, don't cry. Then he goes on and says, because she's only sleeping. And so they laugh at him. This widow here does not laugh. The crowd at Jairus' house did. And then the third time that Luke tells us that Jesus says, don't cry, is right as he was taking his cross to Golgotha, and he turns to the women following him, and he says, don't cry for me, knowing that just 40 years later, Jerusalem would be ransacked by the Romans, the temple completely destroyed, not one stone left upon another. Then Jesus rose from the dead. But how did they respond? Well, we don't know about the women. They just watched and continued to weep. But the very next event that Luke tells us about is how they ridiculed Jesus. Interesting. The different ways people responded to don't cry. Here though, how does she respond? Well, we don't know what she, how she responded. I asked one of my daughters, uh, yesterday, I said, "When someone, have you ever had someone tell you, don't cry? Yeah. And I say, how did that make you feel? And she said some things rather insightful, and then I'm sure that, that you would understand. She said, many times I just feel frustrated. Sometimes I feel demeaned but I always feel emotionally invalidated. You might want to write that down. I <laughs> thought that was good. Emotionally invalidated. There was no, re- no problem with the, the, the widow weeping. You probably already know which daughter that is, don't you? <laughs> yes. Yeah, you said a good job. And, and so there was no problem with this widow weeping. Jesus understands, I mean, come on, church, John 11, at Lazarus's tomb, before Lazarus is raised from the dead, Jesus says, you know, take me to his tomb, and there he sees the people weeping, and it grips him that as he looks over the people there weeping, he realizes he feels this human emotion in which he understands the depth of despair in the face of death in the face of the curse because of mankind's sin that Jesus came to die for and it says he wept i think that was the first verse i ever memorized so proud of myself i was a kid jesus wept that is filled with understanding and compassion as he looks at at the human plight so enslaved by both sin and the curse. And he weeps. Jesus understands this woman's weeping. And and I think sometimes, you know, we, we get a little trivial when we're trying to comfort people. Oh, don't cry, don't cry. And... We can feel emotionally invalidated. Is that what's going on here? Is Jesus invalidating her emotion, her weeping, her crying? Absolutely not. And here's why we know this. Because Jesus did something about it. He didn't just say, stop crying. Um, I love you stop crying. God loves you. Now, these are truths, but we can treat them like trivial type of band-aids to put on people. But these are profound truths. And and just by speaking, God loves you. Three words. We think that, therefore, you should stop crying. But the truth is the reason why we are crying, number one, is generally, many times, emotionally valid. But there is a deeper hurt that God needs to minister to. We need to unwrap this concept of God loves you. Don't just stick with three words. Jesus, in essence, walked up to the woman, don't cry, God loves you, and let me show you. That's what he did. And he walked over, he touched the coffin, and... (laughs) and the guy sits up would that not freak you out if you were one of the pallbearers and and so he sits up and he starts talking and you, i can what does he say he sits up and he says whoa that was like a really bad what what am i doing why are you why am i up off the ground mom what's going on here why are not you dressed in black what, what is well th- this this is a coffin What is going, last time I remember, I just kind of fell down. What is going, wait, 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 I know this guy. I've heard about this guy, Jesus, and he's standing next to my coffin and he gets a light bulb moment. (laughs) I don't know, I'm kind of just thinking through, what did he say? He sits up and he immediately starts talking and Jesus gives the man back to his mom. Mm. Can you imagine how she felt at that very moment. She didn't feel emotionally invalidated. There was hope. As the crowd that was following Jesus with anticipation met the crowd that had expectation, but now that's been buried, and they were about to put it in the grave. And when the crowds meet, we are told in verse 16 they were all filled with awe and praised god can i ask you what heartache do you have today what grief what what struggle what difficult situation are you facing that's impacting you Deeply and emotionally today. You know, Jesus doesn't say, stop crying and get over it. You are not just a number to him or simply a face in the crowd. Jesus wants to step in, and I believe he wants to bring healing, he wants to minister to your heart and to your situation. And here's my question, do you believe that? Maybe you have prayed and prayed and prayed and Jesus just does not ha- he just hasn't done what you wanted him to do. And I've said this before and, and it's so easy for us to treat him like our Jesus genie, right? Rub the lamp and get our three proverbial prayers answered, I, I mean wishes, right? And, and there's this expectation that we can bring And my question to you is, are you willing to lay down your expectations but retain your anticipation? Because when we bring expectations, we are saying, God, I need you to do it my way. And he's saying, I hear you, but I need you to come to that point where you're willing to accept the way I do it. you know, sometimes we can say, okay, God, here's my financial situation. I need you to provide more money. And God doesn't provide more money because his answer was, I need you to cut back on your expenses. There's a political statement somewhere in there if you look hard enough, I think, but I'm not going to preach there. I'm not going there but we can bring to the table expectations. We want it done this way, God, and he's saying, no, I'm sorry. I've got a different plan. I'm going to keep this story short because you've heard, me, you've heard me share it before. When I was 14 years of age, I had prayed in my heart, God, no matter what it takes, make me more like your son, Jesus. I had just given my heart to Christ. I'd grown up in the church in my Christian home, and I had discovered this profound, deep relationship with Jesus, and I was excited, and I wanted to follow him. I I wasn't just the crowd anymore anticipating and following and and going along with Jesus. I was a disciple. I was a learner. I was a follower of Jesus, and I was saying, Jesus, show me your way. I want to become more like you. And Jesus said, awesome. Within six months, I broke cartilage in my knee. I was never to wrestle again. I was never to uh, compete competitively anymore in running. I had done well, and God just said, nope, and he took it all away. And I kept praying, God, please, please help me. I want to be able to run for you. I want to be, I believe you gave me an ability in sports and and this is what I want to pursue. And I want to be able to have a platform. God, if you allow me to do well, I can share Jesus with the crowds. And Jesus said, that is an amazing dream, Mike. That's just your dream and not mine. And I prayed with tremendous expectations and God didn't do any of it. And my mom said, Mike, maybe jesus just wants to do it his way maybe you can't necessarily see what's ahead just like the disciples in the upper room they didn't understand what jesus was doing in washing their feet jesus is washing your feet and you're saying what jesus is doing things in your life and you're saying come on god get with the program. This is what I'm asking you to do. What a disappointment. I wanted to follow you and this is what I get get great. I'm rubbing the lamp really hard many, many times and I'm not getting any of my wishes. And as an immature Christian, that's where I was. Disappointed. For me, I don't mean to be overly dramatic, but despairing. Yes, crying. Did that many times, falling asleep. And God just took my dreams all away. And I said, God, what is up with this? And my mom said, Mike, Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Can you believe that? Not with expectation, but with anticipation. And that became my life verse. And God began at that moment to change this heart in mind that was willing to say, not my will, but yours be done, God. And I believe that many of us come to God with all of these expectations, and Jesus is simply saying, can you trust me? Can you trust me? Can you rest in my goodness? Can you rest in my compassion? Because I know best. Can you rest in this truth? The response, as I say, of both crowds, both crowds and the disciples was awe. It was praising God. It was the declaration. He's a great prophet. And then finally, that God has come to help his people. Regardless of how Jesus answers your prayer, I believe God wants to display his glory in your life. Now, let me remind you, When God ever displays his glory throughout scripture, when he displays his glory, what does it cause the people to do? To glorify him. His glory is manifest and it prompts us to glorify him. Now, I don't know how God is going to manifest his glory in your life, but he's going to do it. He chose to raise the widow's son from the dead. And I get that. Because this woman would not be able to provide for herself. This woman truly felt alone. But what if Jesus chose to not raise her son from the dead, but instead said, woman, come follow me and we will take care of you. That would have been equal compassion she would have had to have left her friends. Or maybe, by the father showing him, would have said, stay with this friend of yours. Let her care for you. That is what Jesus said to John and to his mom when he was dying on the cross. Jesus didn't just simply raise from the, be raised from the dead and then start providing for his mom. So there was a plan, a plan of compassion. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. While he was hanging on the cross. Now, I don't know what God is going to do in your situation. He didn't turn me into a phenomenal wrestler or runner. I didn't break records. Those days were long past. God had something totally different in my life. And I wrestled. Sorry for the pun there, but I wrestled with that. I really did. I was discouraged for months. I was on crutches for four months. And God had to minister to me. He was in the process of pulling insecurities out of my life, asking me, Mike, where are you going to find your value? I don't know exactly the question he posed to me. It wasn't exactly like that. But I needed to find my value in one thing, one person, and that was Jesus. I'm just going to encourage you, if you are facing such a difficult situation in your life today, I'm not saying that Jesus is going to raise the man from the dead. I'm not going to say that Jesus is going to come by and he is going to completely heal you of this situation. He might. He might do it today. I'll pray for that. Because God can do this. God can do what it is impossible for men to do. And that brings him glory. But what also brings him glory is when he, he takes us through the fire and we are not burned. When he takes us through the raging river and we are not swept away. That brings glory to God in which we continue to remain rock solid in this anticipation of what God is going to do because we trust that his compassion is always unfailing and that he will always resort to that. He will always act in love towards us. And if he took something from you, if he allowed that to happen, there is a reason for it. There is a reason for it. Let God, minister truth to your heart. Can you accept that? Can you accept that word this morning? Let God reveal to you. Now, for me, it was years after that he began showing me. And so I was just walking by faith, not by sight. He had not spoken a word. I just began to realize that God was starting to pull all of this junk out of my life. I didn't know it was there. As a matter of fact, I was pretty embarrassed when he started showing me that it was there. You know how he showed me it was there? Let's see, a youth pastor sat down with me and shared, Mike, there's a lot of pride in your life. And my best friend, a month later, did the very same thing. I was wondering if they colluded on this. What? They had not. It's just that the Spirit of God was speaking to both of them because God knew I would listen to them. And that was two years after this. And then since that time... He has been regularly pulling that junk out of my life. And if I were to sit down and I were to ask him, God, why did you take sports out of my life? I'm sure he would have a marvelous explanation. I'm not sure I would do a great job of explaining it right now to you, but I know that there was a reason. He didn't, if you will, raise my dead son from the dead. He didn't do that. He said, you know what, Mike, I need another path for you to take. And so I think as we come to this passage here this morning, we are encountered by Jesus' compassion on the crowd. And specifically one person of all of those people, one person, and he walks up to her and he says, don't cry and proceeds to show her why. And so I would say to you this morning, don't cry. Allow Jesus to step into your life, and if he is sharing with you hope, if he's sharing with you don't cry, let him begin to minister to you the reason why. He might do it through a close friend. Are you listening to them? He might do it even in the midst of your prayer, and you're, you're, man, have we done this so many times, just weeping in the presence of God concerning this problem. <laughs> okay, let's be honest, not just this problem, but multiple of problems it can feel like. And as we're just laying it before the Lord, he begins to speak truth to us. Maybe not what we were looking for, but it's truth. Church, you are not just a number. You are not standing in a DMV line. Hallelujah. God speaks to you face to face through scriptures, through people, through events, in that moment of tender quietness before him, and he begins to speak to you. I don't know what he's saying to you right now. I don't know what he is wanting to say to you right now except can you trust me can you trust me do you really believe the extent to which he loves you do you really believe that church or are you just kind of going along with yeah jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so yeah i can sing that song all day long that was the first song that i ever learned in my life (laughs) What a profound truth, though. You are not just a number. You are not, you, you are more than a sparrow that falls to the ground that God knows about. He has called you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he has called you to be his very special possession. Not just as the scripture teach us that, but he tells us that. That is why he redeemed us. That means he bought you. There was an exchange made there at the cross. His life for yours. Psalm 103. I read at the very beginning during our prayer time. I was going to read that last little bit to you again. Maybe I should have had it marked, right? Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Listen to this. He forgives all of your sins. He heals all of your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. Been there, done that, right? He crowns you with love and compassion satisfies your heart with good things because his desire is to renew you. It's what it, just, it's what it says there, to renew your heart, to mount up on wings like eagles. I think as we go through this passage in Luke 7 and we are confronted with this truth, it flies in the face of what we are constantly listening to, that maybe I am just a number, maybe God, it just he, he, he does not care about me. Maybe he has these bad plans for me. And we don't even want to expect anything or anticipate anything. I want to close in prayer right now. I'm going to call you to anticipation because you are not just a number. When you step before his throne of grace, he lavishly wants to bestow upon you. He forgives all of our sins. He has redeemed us. He has crowned you. He has satisfied you. Be satisfied in him again. Don't cry. And let Jesus show you why. Can you stand with me? Hmm. Father, I believe that your love is vast like an ocean as we sing. The waves come crashing down upon us. But sometimes we are so distracted by our own personal problems, we fail to see this. We fail to see your love, your mercy, your grace. So I am asking you this morning, God, please, don't just speak truth, don't cry. But would you do something about that? Would you change situations in the best way possible? The best way possible, God. Because this is who you are. The all-knowing, all-seeing God. You know what lies in the future. You know what is best for us. Would you do that? Father, maybe we don't even know how to pray but we come before you with anticipation. You are so good, so full of compassion, bowels of mercies. Mm. Just wrap us in that truth tonight, today, God. Just let us reflect upon the depth of that love that you showed us on the cross. Let us be satisfied in this. Don't let us continue to walk away from you angry, God. Speak truth. God, in the very beginning I asked, would you speak prophetically to our hearts today? Would you do that? Would you, by your Spirit, speak a very personal word? each heart here this morning. And then would you display your glory? Mm. However you choose, display your glory that we would stand back in awe, that we would praise you, that we would recognize Jesus has come to care for His for me, his people. Mm. Would you do this, God? Father, I do pray for healing in people's lives. I do pray for financial blessing in people's lives and provision. I do pray for relational reconciliation, marriages that are strained, that you would heal in Jesus' name and that the devil would not be able to separate them. God, would you step into these situations? devil means for evil. Would you, in your amazing grace and glory, turn it around for your good? For our good. Wow. Would you do this, God? We Give you all the praise and the glory and honor that you deserve. Because you love. In Jesus' name we pray.